This was a message, I, I will admit to you, <laughs> that is really hard to prepare for. It, it has some, some strong language. But whenever things, whenever we come to passages in the Bible that are difficult, we don't shy away from them. We tackle them head on. And there is some explicit material in these passages. I just want to warn you ahead of time. And I understand that there are young ears in the room. And I will keep this as PG as possible. But also be warned that there are things in this passage, in this sermon, that the Lord has directed me to give, that I must give. Because it's, it's, it's necessary for the church, for us to be cleansed and purified and, and to walk in freedom in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So with that disclaimer, the year was 1995. I was working the front desk at the famous Hotel Del Coronado in San Diego, California during the annual Christmas Toys for Tots ball. The Hotel Del Coronado is a very famous hotel in San Diego that it's known throughout the world. I think it was built in 1870 as one of the largest wooden structures in the Western Hemisphere. And a lot of movies and TV shows have been filmed there. Uh, there was a movie some years ago uh, with Marilyn Monroe and Tony Curtis called Some Like It Hot, back in the 50s, I think it was. Uh, My Blue Heaven was filmed there. Canine Cop with uh, Jim Belushi was filmed there. A lot of presidents, dignitaries, movie stars, lots of famous people stayed there, and I and I worked there for a season. Now, Toys for Tots is a party organized by the local military, Navy, Marines in the area to give toys and gifts to underprivileged children. San Diego is a big military town. And it was an excuse for wealthy people to give money to charity while pouring out massive amounts of libations while entertaining their girlfriends who appeared to look like plastic Barbie dolls. Remember, this is Southern California, where I was born and raised. To say these women were scantily clad were, would be an understatement of the year. Now, my job at the front desk was to check people in and out of the hotel and provide assistance for the guests. A woman approached, and I welcomed her to the hotel. I took her credit card information and the usual spiel about the hotel amenities, and I wrapped things up very quickly. And I noticed she was already dressed to the nines for the ball, so I made my presentation quick so that she could get on with the party. I asked her how many keys that she needed for her room, and she said, two keys, please. As I was making the keys, she and I bantered back and forth, nothing that I would consider flirtatious, at least not at the time. And I handed her the keys, and she proceeded to compliment me on how well I made her feel welcome and comfortable. She also told me I was cute. She then handed me one of her keys and said, Hey, when you get off of your shift, why don't you come up to my room for a drink? I was taken aback. She thanked me, and she went on her way. Now, Tara and I, at the time, it was 1995, we were engaged to be married. And when I checked this lady into her hotel room, no one from the front desk staff 
was even around to see the interaction. And let me tell you, as a virile young man in his 20s, to say that I wasn't tempted would be an understatement. And I'm just being real with you. I remember thinking, you know, no one would ever know. It's a harmless drink. Maybe she's hurting and needs to be ministered to. Maybe, she, you know, she needs, she, she's, she needs the gospel. I could really make a difference in her life. I mean, just this stupidity rationale. And then I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit yelling at me. Don't do it. This will ruin you for the rest of your life. I began to pray, Lord, this woman is beautiful and attractive and she's into me. How do I deal with this? I know it's wrong. I know it's not your will. What do I do to make all of this go away? Immediately, the Lord spoke to me in my heart as clear as day. And what I heard was this. Call Tara and tell her. And I thought to myself, I don't want to tell her this. This would crush her. I don't want to make her feel insecure or bad about herself. And I just kept hearing over and over, call her and tell her. So on my next break, I went into the back office. I picked up the phone and I said something like, honey, I have something to share with you. And I'm doing it because I want to keep the purity of our relationship. I don't want to jeopardize our future marriage. I don't want my relationship to be compromised with Jesus most of all. There was this woman who checked into the hotel, dot, 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 and I explained the whole story to her. I told her the whole story, and I was so nervous how she was going to respond and how she was going to react. But you know what she did? She, re she said she loved me even more than she ever did before. That this was a test and that I had passed it. She told me I was a man worthy of marrying. And man, let me tell you, I felt so good hearing that. And then something interesting happened right after. The temptation I felt was completely gone. I was free from it because Tara knew about it. And I went on and I finished the rest of my shift and went to spend time with my future wife. The Lord blessed me so much with his presence and strength in that moment. I will never forget it. That woman, looking back, she wasn't into me. She was just looking for a conquest. She loved the power it gave her to make a 23-year-old man's jaw drop. She wasn't interested in anything else other than having power over a young man. Author Laura Esquivel said, Each of us is born with a box of matches inside of us, but we can't strike them all by ourselves. If you resist temptation, your memory is blessed with what didn't happen. If you fall into temptation, your memory is cursed with what did happen. And that is precisely what Solomon is instructing his son in this next section of Proverbs. Stay away from the forbidden woman. Now, this passage is primarily directed toward men. And after all, it's Solomon talking with his son, right? However, there are things that women can learn and stay away from in this passage as well. And we'll get into that a little bit later. Quoting from John Stone Street, writing for the Christian Post, he says the following. Late August, 
Pew Research announced the findings of a new study with a provocative headline. Half of Christians say casual sex is sometimes or always acceptable. In particular, what the study reveals about self-identified evangelicals is especially troubling. According to Pew Research, less than half of evangelicals surveyed were willing to say that casual sex is never acceptable. 17% said casual sex was rarely acceptable. 24% said that it was sometimes so. And 12%, one in eight, said that casual sex was always acceptable. This is the church in America, ladies and gentlemen. Remember, these are evangelicals we're talking about to casual sex here, or as they serve, as the survey defined it. Sex between consenting adults who are not in a committed romantic relationship, we're talking tender and the infamous hookup culture that we see around us today. That any Christian would find this behavior acceptable is astounding, but more than one-third of evangelicals are fine with occasional promiscuity. The survey also found that nearly three in five approve of cohabitation. That is, living with somebody before you're married. I don't want to come across as self-righteous or angry, but this is sad. As the, I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about the church. Don't worry, it will get more encouraging as I go into the sermon. Hang in there with me. At root, what the survey reveals is a failure of of catechesis. Or to be more precise, a failure of the church combined with the resounding success of cultural forces to catechize. Specifically, churches have failed to teach young people a true Christian understanding of sex and the human body, end quote. And that's why we're here, what we're at, where we're at in our culture. We've taken something as sacred as sex as a gift from God and abused it into what we want instead of the fulfilling, inviting, wonderful, pleasure-filled, almost, dare I say it, sacramental act that God meant it to be. Haven't you noticed that our culture liberally celebrates its sexual freedom and yet there's more perversion more brokenness, more addictive behavior, more destroyed people in its wake than we've ever seen before. We're going down this rabbit hole and yet nobody, nobody in in terms of all of this freedom we have, nobody is satisfied. Nobody. The only way sex is satisfying and fulfilling in any form is by a lifelong commitment of marriage between a man and a woman. And that's how God designed it. Without a lifelong commitment, it's just a physical transaction with no benefits that destroys the soul. In part, it's like a fireplace. I tell my kids this often and they know it well. A fire inside the fireplace where it's designed to be is warm, it's inviting, it's comforting. But once that fire is outside the fireplace, it becomes destructive and ruins everything around it. For those of you who have experienced this sexual brokenness 
or are in a sexual relationship and yet are depressed and unfulfilled and you see that it doesn't work, there's hope for you. You see, what you're really looking for is intimacy with God. You want to feel the unconditional love between you and the person you're with. And that's a legitimate need. But you'll never find that through sexual contact with another person outside of a marriage between a man and a woman. But Jesus can transform your heart and fulfill you in ways that sex can't. You see, once your heart is filled with the Holy Spirit, you can truly understand the benefits of a marital sexual relationship and be fulfilled in that. But it must first come by beckoning to the foot of the cross, surrendering your life to Jesus Christ, asking forgiveness of your sins, and handing your sexuality over to him by faith to do with it what he wants. Once you do that, you will experience true freedom and joy that only Jesus offers. And God will restore you his grace through his son, Jesus. There's a verse in the book of Joel where God promises, I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. He can restore you. Now, when Solomon addresses his son in this chapter, it appears that his son is married. So this section deals primarily with adultery. Marriage is sacred and makes society strong and vibrant. And that's why the devil is destroying it by making marriage a byword. Less people are getting married or less people are not getting married today than ever before. And as I was preparing to preach this sermon, Tara and I talked about the devil's tactics in destroying marriage, and she pointed out something interesting. Why is it that I had never had this happen to me, the hotel incident, before I was engaged? That's easy. The devil wanted to destroy God's work even before it got started. So he'll use whatever means necessary to destroy marriages, particularly marriages of two people who are walking with Christ. So now let's get into our passage. Look at verse one with me. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline or bend over or listen very carefully. Bend your ear to my understanding. Verse two, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. Pay close attention to what I'm about to say because I've learned a whole lot in this area, son. I have a lot of wisdom to share with you so you don't fall into the same traps as I have. Now, if anyone knows, Solomon does, for we read in 1 Kings 11, 1 through 8, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them. Neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn your heart away after following their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, 
and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. And it goes on. Solomon chose to listen to the women in his life that manipulated him. Women that used him for their own personal gain. God warned him of this, but he didn't listen. Now, with his son's attention, he wants him to listen. Young people, listen up. Young people in the room, listen up. You are surrounded by people in this church who have made mistakes in this area in life. I know I have. To be fully transparent, I am not perfect. Take it from us who didn't listen to the Lord when we should have. Young people, listen now. We're here to save you a lot of pain. A lot of pain. Listen to Solomon who knows what it is to be destroyed by this kind of sexual behavior. Wisdom is the reward you get for a lifetime of listening when you would have preferred to talk. God gave you two ears and one mouth. Which do you think he wants you to use more? If you go down a path of your choosing, not the one that the Lord has for you, you will suffer. But following the Lord Jesus with your whole heart, removing those things that are in his way, what Solomon and many others failed to do, you will be rewarded and God will bless you. There's a story about a proud young man who came to Socrates asking for knowledge. He walked up to this muscular philosopher and said, Oh, great Socrates, I come to you for knowledge. Socrates recognized a pompous numbskull when he saw one. And he led the young man through the streets to the sea and chest deep into water. And he asked, what do you want? Knowledge, oh, why, Socrates, said the young man with a smile. Socrates put his hands on the man's shoulders and pushed him under. 30 seconds later, Socrates let him up. What did you say you wanted? Wisdom, the young man sputtered. Oh, great and wise, Socrates. Socrates crunched him under again. 30 seconds passed, 45, 40. Socrates let him back up. The man was gasping. What'd you say you wanted? Between heavy and heaving breaths, the fellow wheezed. Oh, knowledge, knowledge, oh wise one. Socrates jammed him under again. 45 seconds passed, 50. He let him back up. Tell me again, what is it that you said you want? Air, the man screamed. I need air. When you want knowledge, as you have just wanted air, then you will have knowledge. You see, wisdom is not a philosophy an idea, or a pragmatic approach to life. Wisdom is a person. That's why we're going through Proverbs, because this book is about Jesus. He is wisdom. He doesn't just give wisdom. That's what he is. It's the person of Jesus Christ and the knowledge of his life, his death, his resurrection. It's also knowing him personally and intimately, walking with him by his spirit, by faith. When you seek to know Jesus, you will know wisdom. You will know about the deep things of life. But if you seek things outside of Jesus Christ, then you will gain nothing. It's all about Jesus. And when you need him like you need the air, then you will know wisdom and strength. He goes on to say, 
that you may keep discretion, your lips may guard knowledge. The result of consuming wisdom is the heart will keep discretion. Take food, for instance. If you consume tons of refined grains, sugars, eat tons of processed meat, processed dairy, and never have a balanced diet of whole grains, seeds, nuts, legumes, vegetables, and fruit, what comes out is diabetes, obesity, heart disease, chronic pain, cancer, and many other health issues. However, if you eat good things, healthy things, what comes out is feeling great, health, vitality, energy, sleep quality, and many other benefits. The soul is no different. If you consume TikTok, Instagram, Netflix, Hulu, Snapchat, or whatever else, you'll be depressed, you'll be down, your soul will be agitated, stressed, and not healthy. Solomon is instructing his son, Stay close to wisdom. Stay close to the scriptures, which have the ability to give us understanding so that your heart will be wise, so that your lips will guard that knowledge. Your lips, whatever the the Bible says, whatever uh, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I believe Jesus said that. For the uh, Isaiah 32, 6 says, For the fool speaks folly, and his heart is busy with iniquity and practicing ungodliness, to utter error concerning the Lord, to leave the craving of the hungry unsatisfied, and to deprive the thirsty of drink. Psalm 102, 2 says, Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. When you consume the scriptures, what will come out is joy and peace. Verse 3, now Solomon begins to describe what this woman looks like how she behaves. The lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. So what is this woman like that Solomon is warning his son about? What does she do? What is her motive? Here in verse three, her lips drip with sweet honey and is smoother than oil is the picture. This woman is attempting to entice men by her flirtatious looks and her seductive speech. She throws flattery this young man's way. She is inflating his ego. He is a conquest to her, a challenge to get what she wants. She uses her body and wears scantily clad clothing to capture the young man's attention. She knows he's young. She knows he's naive and full of vigor. And yet she also knows that he's also married and committed. He's forbidden, but not to her. She wants him because she knows that she can't have him. And she'll do whatever it takes to get him. This woman is dangerous. She doesn't care about him, but rather cares only about satisfying herself. Men, be wary of her. I would venture to say that since some of you have been married that the devil has made it his personal mission to put some of these women in your path. He certainly has me. And he likes to strike when things aren't going so well in your marriage or your life. He loves to send them your way after an argument with your wife. He loves to present an alternative when your relationship is not centered on Jesus. When you stop engaging in marital, I will say it nicely, conjugation. And your needs are not satisfied. The devil will present someone to you. If that's not the case, then get on your knees. Seek wise counsel. 
read and consume the word of God. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and do what Joseph did. Run! Get as far away from her as you can. It is not worth it. And you might be thinking that you deserve a dainty little treat after all the sacrifices you've made as a father and a husband. You might be thinking, she doesn't appreciate me the way that this woman does. Watch out. She understands me. She gets me. She's speaking lies to you. And if you go down that path, consequences will be suffered. Unlike this woman, the gospel declares that Jesus in his love and pursuit of you set all, all of his affections on you to rescue you from death. This false attention and the allurement of this forbidden woman doesn't even hold a candle to the affections that Jesus Christ has for you. And he proved it. Rest in his grace and all that he was, has done for you. Dwell on the cross. Beckon to the foot of the cross. Be sweetly broken there. As if I, if I could quote a song from Jeremy Riddle. Sweetly broken. And take your need to him and he will satisfy you. Verse 4. But in the end she's as bitter as wormwood. Sharp as a two-edged sword. At the end of her conquest, the end of her ways, it ends in wormwood, which in Hebrew means bitterness. Wormwood was the most bitter substance known in ancient Israel at that time. Oh, she may be smooth in the beginning, but it ends in a sharp sword. What seems attractive at first becomes bitter and sharp later. Involvement in adultery or sexual immorality is like tasting gall, the bitterest substance known. From a plant. Or like being cut by a double-edged sword. Do you get the picture picture that Solomon is trying to paint to his son here? Think of Samson. He lost his life because he was... Because of his foolishness. Playing around with the strength that God gave him. Former football coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, Urban Meyer, was recently fired on December 16th by the team in his first year as an NFL head coach. On October 1st, he was secretly filmed inside of his restaurant with a young girl, not his wife, not his wife, dancing very close to him in a provocative way. This was after a loss that the Jaguars sustained, and he decided not to join his team on the way back to Jacksonville. He chose to stay behind. The video went viral, and it embarrassed the whole team. From there, his team lost all respect for him, even after he gave a public apology. Things began to go downhill from there. The team was never the same, and after other incidents occurred, like the bullying of some players and leaked information, Shad Khan, the owner of the Jaguars, fired Meyer, calling it regrettable that our reputation as a football team has been tarnished. It began with that woman in that restaurant and it forever ruined Urban Meyer's career as a football coach. Did you catch that? 
The sword that the woman pierces is a sharp two-edged sword. But what does the Bible say in Hebrews 4, 11 and 12? Let us therefore strive to enter the rest that God has given us so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's even sharper than the sword that this forbidden woman wants to use against you. The sword that the woman pierces is a sharp two-edged sword. But the word of God is sharper than her sword. It's able to strengthen you, able to get to the root of your need. The word of God knows how to divide the thoughts and the intentions of your own heart. It knows how to help you understand and discern the situation where you're tempted so that God's wisdom will satisfy you. What a precious gift we have in this book. That's why you need to consume it, read it, meditate on it, give it first place in your life so that the power and the promises of God will protect you from all temptation. A thorough knowledge of the Bible is worth more than a college education. Theodore Roosevelt. The Bible is a cradle wherein Christ is laid. Martin Luther. If you are ignorant of God's word, you will always be ignorant of God's will. Billy Graham. A Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. God is the author of the Bible and the only the only the truth that it contains will lead people to true happiness George Mueller Mark Twain and a businessman known for his ruthlessness arrogance and religiosity said to him one time before i die i intend to visit the holy land climb mount sinai and read the 10 commandments aloud twain responded i've got a better idea why don't we stay here and keep them Look at verse 5. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. Sheol is a, another word for a place in hell. Her feet, or the way she walks in, her, in life, her path, her ways, can be con- contrasted by the walk of a follower of Jesus. The walk or the life of the, of the believer leads to eternal life. Not just when he or she dies now, but right now. You get to experience eternal life. Solomon describes this woman as an agent or a follower of the devil, and she doesn't even know it. She leads others down the same path, which always ends in eternal death. Now, let me say something to you. If you have been this woman in your past, and you are concerned about that now, that shows that the Holy Spirit is with you and you have nothing to fear. If you are convicted by this statement. Now, if you weren't and it's no big deal to you, I have greater concerns for you. But the Holy Spirit bears witness in the conviction and that's a good thing. I chose this other passage, Revelation 3, and we're almost done. Uh, There was a, to the angel of the church in Thyatira, the words of the Son of God who has eyes like the flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, love and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. So Jesus is giving this church a report card. He says, you're doing well in these areas. 
But here is where you've gone wrong in verse 20 of Revelation 3. But I have this against you, that you tolerate. You need to underline, circle, highlight. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and eat foods sacrificed to idols. Verse 21, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. There was this woman in the church at Thyatira. We don't know who she is, but Jesus gives her a sort of a, a, a sarcastic nickname, calls her Jezebel. Those of you who know Jezebel of the Old Testament, married to Ahab, was an evil woman. This woman asserts herself in the church as a leader, and she doesn't teach the gospel to repent and turn from sin and turn to Jesus, but rather she teaches a doctrine of sexual expression and loose living. The church at Thyatira is tolerating it. And sadly, I think the church today has embraced this Jezebelian doctrine of sexual expression. The church tolerates it in America. Jesus is very clear here with these words, brothers and sisters. If you think it's okay to engage in sex and that God tolerates it as perfectly acceptable, then you are deceived and you need to repent. If you really believe this Jezebelian doctrine that God wants you to express yourself carnally as you desire and that you're free to do with what you want, how you want to do it, and when you want to do it, then you are lost and you need to repent. If you think it's okay to engage in pornography and that God is okay with it as a form of sexual expression, you need to repent if you think it's okay to engage in sex with your girlfriend or your boyfriend outside of a lifelong marital commitment and you call yourself a follower of Christ, you are in sin and you need to repent. God is being gracious to you as he is to this Jezebel woman, giving you time to repent. Jesus warns us in this passage that if we don't repent, he can and will throw each of us into a sickbed or worse, death. I don't care what the world tells us about sex. I don't care if the culture says it's okay to express yourself this way. The culture is acting like the forbidden woman, leading people straight to hell. This is the word of God. This is the word of life. And this is what it says. And this is the truth. We need a revival in this country. We are destroying the image bearers of God through this act. First Corinthians six, Paul makes it clear that when you engage in any kind of sexual immorality, you are making, as a follower of Christ, participate in that with you because you are indwelt with his spirit. This is dangerous, folks. We are living in dangerous times when nine-year-olds are being given 
cell phones and have access to all kinds of stuff. We really need to be vigilant with our children. Verse 6, she does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she doesn't even know it. She has no regard. This woman has no regard for Jesus or a relationship with God. She has no idea who she even is. She just wanders around going nowhere. Here are some traits of a woman with a Jezebel spirit. Jezebel seeks to gain popularity and favor with people of influential and high positions of leadership. She loves to hobnob with the powerful and gain influence in their lives. Jezebel will seek out individuals that are weaker and turn them into followers of her. She loves the attention of her own personal disciples and twists them into her own making. Jezebel is never humble. And whenever this spirit receives praise, it always responds with false humility. She loves to appear humble in front of others, but she isn't. Jezebel is defensive and combative whenever confronted about anything. She's self-righteous and thinks her way is always the right way. When someone confronts her, she manipulates people by crying and displaying hurt feelings to regain a foothold. Jezebel loves to teach and seeks gain, to gain control in every situation. She loves to hold court and give others wisdom, but she herself is not teachable at all. She's prideful and she hates showing weakness and vulnerability. Jezebel loves to teach esoteric knowledge. That is, knowledge that no one else knows except her. That she is the source of truth and that you can't get it any other way except through her. And that's what Jesus sarcastically refers to her teachings as the deep things of Satan there in Revelation 2. She does not regard scripture as the source of truth. Jezebel wants to be seen as the most spiritual and powerful one, typically loves to pray elaborate and long prayers, and she's really good at a religious facade. Jezebel will never submit to authority. Jezebel loves to pray and impart evil demonic spirits into others, especially in the church. I heard of a pastor in Seattle, Washington, where there were witches that were attending his church saying, our goal and mission in this church is to get every single one of you in leadership to fall sexually. Jezebel hates the voice of the prophet and seeks to control and destroy those who operate in the prophetic gifts like pastors who preach and teach the word of God. Jezebel will never repent. She'll never change her ways. She'll never submit to the authority of Jesus or his word. Pretty heavy stuff, I know. But let me share some good news before I close. If you have engaged with the forbidden woman or engaged in any sexual activity outside of the Lord's intended will, I've got good news. God still loves you. You're not far gone. He is a restorer of lives. His desire is to restore you to wholeness and healing. That's why he went to Calvary to take our sexual brokenness and pour out his lavish grace upon us. 
So how does he desire to heal us? How can we be made whole? Number one, he will renew your mind. He replaces old thought patterns with truth. He removes the lies that keep us in bondage. He reveals that they are, in fact, lies. And you can reject them because now you recognize them as such. Your destructive thoughts of worthlessness, depression, addiction, promiscuity will be replaced by thoughts of worthiness. Yes, you're worthy because he made you worthy. Peace, love, because you are his child. He'll renew your mind through his word. It will take root in you and grow and you will become freer and freer and freer. He will transform your destructive patterns of thinking to healthy patterns of thinking as his word washes over you and cleanses you. Listen to what Isaiah 30, 19 through 22 says. For a people shall dwell in Zion and Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he will answer you. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore. But your eyes shall see your teacher and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way walk in it. Walk in it when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. And when your teacher calls your name, guess what you will do? Look at verse 22. Then you will defile your carved idols overlaid with silver and your gold and metal images. And you will scatter them as unclean things. You will say to them, be gone, get away from me. You will defile the things that were defiling you. You will destroy them in your life. Number two, he heals. He will heal your attitude about your own body. Oh, this is a big one. Your body, which once brought you shame, he restores the temple of the Holy Spirit within you when you surrender your life to him. And he will give you a proper view of self. Because you, listen, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. He is delighted with you. You are made in the image of God and he is pleased with the image he has created. Number three, he will restore your relationships that have been damaged. You will learn to see others the way God sees them and you will begin to treat others with respect and purity We make amends for any part of the brokenness we may have created or sustained. And God restores us to the purity which leads to freedom and a proper view of others. Number four, he restores healthy boundaries for your own sexuality. We recognize that sex is a sacred gift, a wonderful gift from our creator to be enjoyed in a marriage covenant. We also recognize the damage it does when we use this wrongly. So we commit ourselves to purity because when we commit ourselves to purity and holiness, it brings us more freedom and more joy and more peace. 
because we've chosen to put our sexuality in his hands and say, Lord, you do with it whatever you please. God wants to restore you, brothers and sisters, who have sinned in this way. And I'm going to invite you in a prayer to receive his gift of healing and restoration in this area because there is a lot of it in our culture and especially in the church. God loves you. He hasn't given up on you. And yes, if you have done that, yes, you need to come to the table when Kim addresses that with us, addresses communion with us. You come to this table. You come because Christ invites you to be cleansed. It's a tough message, but one that needs to be discussed and said. And he loves you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a restorer of brokenness. I venture to say, Lord, that there's probably some thoughts that are going through folks' minds here in this room or even online that feel convicted. Lord, uh, thank you for the cross, for the blood that was shed that, that covers our shame. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to just say this prayer after me, not as a mechanical exercise, but with, with your heart. Lord, I've sinned in this area. I have taken something good which you've created and I've used it shamefully. But Lord, you call me back to you because your desire is to restore me. Lord, I surrender my sexuality to you. I give you my body and I give you my life. Please cleanse me from my sin and restore me anew and fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.